Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everyone. I'm Laura Coates, and welcome to CNN Tonight. We've got tomorrow's news tonight right here for you with the incredible video. I can't believe this. It was the moment that the convicted murderer escaped from prison. It's kind of parkour you all saw today. Plus what the judge showed us today in a Fulton County courtroom as it was televised and where all of this really is going. But first up, a great big nope for Ken Chesborough and Sidney Powell. The judge in Fulton County we saw today shut down their attempt to be tried separately from one another. They will, of course, now be tried together beginning possibly on October 23rd per their request. So what does that mean now for the DA's desire to try all this yearbook photo of 19 defendants together? Well, the judge, in a word, his word, skeptical. Uh, It sounds like the state is still sticking to the position that all these defendants should remain and they want to address some of these removal issues. Um, I'll I'll I'm willing to hear that. I I remain very skeptical. Well, the word is skeptical nonetheless, and that's just the very beginning of what was a bad day for the former president. A Mar-a-Lago IT worker has now flipped on Trump in the classified documents case, and he's clearly telling a story that people want to hear. Otherwise, he would not have gotten a deal. There's also a federal judge ruling today that Trump is going to have to pay E. Jean Carroll in a second defamation case against him. Just now, a matter of how much money we're talking about. Plus, there are new clues as the manhunt is heating up on day seven in Pennsylvania. Investigators have now found footprints of the escaped murderer, Danilo Cavacante, and they are warning that he would be as violent as he needs to be to avoid capture if he really has nothing to lose. We have exclusive video coming up of the manhunt from a a couple who live in the search zone. So stay tuned for that conversation. And everybody's asking, I've been asking, you've been asking, of course, how in the world did he escape? Well, now we can see it for ourselves. Take a look at this video. He is the person in the background there at the Chester County Prison. And it's showing Calvacante beginning a kind of crab walk up, a parkour move, really, right before he escaped. They're saying that now he then pushed his way through razor wire. He ran across a roof. He scaled another fence and he pushed his way through, get this, even more razor wire before then escaping. We got all the latest details on the manhunt tonight. Let's begin first with the hearing on the Trump Georgia 2020 election subversion case. The whole thing playing out live on camera. Joining me now in studio is Marcus Childress, former January 6th investigative counsel, and Gene Rossi, a former federal prosecutor. Gentlemen, I'm glad you're both here. I will not ask you to try to figure out how that man did that crab walk. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to try to. My mind is blown by that moment. But there was another moment today, and many people thought there's no way the judge is going to make a decision today about the actual severance. He did, and he said, Ken Chesbrough, Sidney Powell, 
you have to be tried together. Not the other 17, but tried together. I want to talk about the winners and losers of that decision, though, because that's really part of what is coming up on the horizon. When you heard about that, who do you think was the winner there? Are you ready? I'm ready. I think the big winner is Jack Smith. Oh. Because he's brilliant in charging Donald Trump by himself. Because they charged uh, 19 people, you have a kerfuffle, you have a perfect storm of motions, scheduling, um, constitutional issues, removal. The big loser, I think, was uh, the scheduling of the, of the case in Fulton County Court. Because how the heck are they going to have 19 defendants in one room, in one courtroom, mm-hmm. and not take six months, eight months? That's excluding jury selection. So I think the big loser was the people of Fulton County. What I think the prosecutors did, and it's, it's great that they charge this big RICO, but I think what they're doing is getting ahead of their skis. They charge too many people mm. in my book. So I predict what the judge is going to do, he's going to slice off those defendants who are not subject to removal. And he's going to put in abeyance the ones who may get removed because he brought up a good point. If you try a case with somebody who's subject to a possible removal decision and the judge grants it, what do you do? You declare a mistrial and then it goes to federal court? That's why I brought up the double jeopardy. So the big winner, Jack Smith for brilliance, one defended. The big loser, I think, is the scheduling process and the whole system in Fulton County. Marcus, you're nodding your head. Do you do you see it the same way? Uh, I actually see it a little differently. So I'm going to start with the losers, and I think mm-hmm. the loser is going to be... You Mr. pointed at me when you said that. No, you're not a loser. <laughs> I not. don't know what that I'm was gonna about. I'm going to point back to you with the winner, too. Okay, okay, the fine. Are Mr. Make Cheesebur- sure that point is very, very clear. <laughs> Go ahead. Mr. Cheeseborough and Ms. Powell, I think they lost today. Look, uh, they did not want to be tried together. That was very clear from their filings, from their arguments in court today. They didn't want to be associated with the conspiracy, the big lie, or the fake elector scheme. And now the court said jurors can hear the case fairly and, and, and decide the evidence for you independently in a way that's fair for you in trial. The winners, I'm actually going to go with the American public. Um, Transparency, I think, wins here today. Mm. If you go back to our January 6th hearings, one of the big, I think, victories for us was the fact that you could watch Officer Caroline Edwards. You could watch Nick Mm. Quested, see their demeanor, hear their testimony, look at the surveillance Mm. uh, evidence and make your own determination. Um, And so the fact that we could watch this hearing today and we're having this discussion, talking about how the attorneys were arguing, how the judge actually responded back to those arguments, that was a win for the justice system. And, And I think we need to, have more integrity with our with our justice system so people can actually have trust in this trial as it plays out. That's a great point. And you think about also honing in on the why. Like why would these two people not want to be tried together? I mean, if you're Ken Cheesebro, or Chesbro, right. I think it's now pronounced, yeah. um, the, the comment from his lawyer was that he was kind of the more intellectual of the two, right? He mm-hmm. was just opining about the Electoral Count Act. He was just offering legal opinions. He counters that to say, Sidney Powell, she was more of the Coffee County issues, much more hands-on, much more thought of as a mastermind. Of course, she denies all of those things. They don't want each other's stink on them, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are Sidney Powell... People know her from the defamation case, the Dominion case. And so maybe if you're Chesbro, you want a big 10-foot pole away from here. That's not happening here. But what about the other 17, including one of them is Donald Trump, who has no intention of being tried this very year on this case? How does he fare in this? Well, I think Donald Trump uh, is probably looking at his calendar right now 
because they're not going to set the trial for him in Fulton County probably until March, April or May. So that's a big negative for him, because at the time when he's going to win the nomination, he is going to face a trial of, of his peers and uh, they could be a verdict of guilty in September, October. Yeah. So he's the big loser in this case. I think I think all 19 defendants are losers because now you're seeing people starting to minimize their own involvement, mm. starting to point the finger at others. And you're, I would be worried if I was one of the attorneys representing them that someone's going to cooperate and flip earlier than my client. And so I would be a little nervous about someone cooperating in this trial after watching how, the, how it played out today. Well, look, the early bird gets the worm in this case. You think about that. Thank you both for all of Thank your you. insight tonight. I want to bring in former Trump White House Associate Counsel May Mailman into the conversation as well. May, we're talking about the winners and losers here and thinking about how all this is unfolding. I mean, this is but one of the, what, four indictments that the former president is facing. But there are a number of co-defendants here. There are, of course, co-defendants in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case as well. When you're looking at all of this, taking a step back, what is your take in terms of what this is going to mean, knowing there is obviously an election about 400 or so days away? Yeah, so Trump has said that the March 4th date, that is the date settled for the D.C. Jack Smith's case, mm-hmm. so Gene's uh, winner here, Um So he has called that election interference. And I think he's right in the sense that it's election interference in his favor in the primary. So we have seen Trump more than double his support uh, during this primary season because of these indictments. I think at the very beginning, that was maybe understandable because you had Alvin Bragg's case first. I think even uh, people on the other side of the aisle were a little bit skeptical of that. But, you know... All of this playing out during the primary process does seem to be helping President Trump. Does it move an independent voter toward Trump? Probably not. But uh, but Trump is, I think, the near-term winner, actually, with, uh, you know, with all of these cases piling on top of him. I mean, that's interesting to think about the thumb on the scale inuring to the benefit of Trump because we certainly see the money that is being raised, the idea of the weaponization of the government, a consistent talking point. I think he often discusses, look, they're really after you. I'm in the way. I'm taking the heat for you here. But then you talk about, that's Fulton County. Then let's go down to Mar-a-Lago for a second because Jack Smith now has a cooperating witness against the former president in that classified documents case. It's an IT worker, Yusul Tavares, and he could testify to efforts by Trump and the other co-defendants, Walt Nauta, um, uh, Mr. Dale Oliveira as well, in their attempts to try to delete security camera footage to keep it from being handed over to a grand jury. That could be particularly damning for Trump. We, we heard a little bit about that in the indictment against Donald Trump, of course, and when they added second co-defendant, Mr. Dale Oliveira, but are you surprised now that there is that cooperating witness? And, and if you were advising Trump, obviously you're not his counsel, but if you were advising him or the team, what would be your suggestion here? So I guess I'm not surprised. There was a lot of pressure on this person because uh, he had a potential perjury charge. He said one thing to the grand jury at first, and then he flipped his story. And I think that there was pressure being put on him of if you want to avoid charges, uh, you really should cooperate with us. And, you know, I guess I'm not if I'm if I'm advising Trump, 
I, w- I would want to know what was said to this person, but at least what's in the superseding indictment doesn't make me all that concerned because it hmm. seems like he didn't have a direct link to Trump as far as an obstruction of justice. So the I think as clear as you can see it, uh, even though you have to read between the lines a little bit, Trump's attorney called Trump saying that there's a subpoena. Trump then talked to Walt Nada. Walt Nada then talked to another person, the, the you know the third named defendant, and then that person and Walt talked to now this cooperating witness. So there's a lot of telephone. You don't know um, if he's going to know what's in Trump's mind, if he was even aware of a subpoena, if he knew Trump was aware of a subpoena. So we'll see what comes out of it. But this person is low level enough that it doesn't it wouldn't give me immense heartburn, I guess. I mean, there certainly has to follow the leader and follow that game. But then again, there are three co-defendants. So perhaps testifying against one might actually induce other pressure in other ways. But that's up to Jack Smith to prove his burden in this case. Also, there's this point where Donald Trump was telling Hugh Hewitt today that he's willing to go on the stand to defend himself at trial. Now, we've heard Trump say oftentimes that he would testify. Then he will oftentimes say, I would do it, but my lawyers say I can't. So in this instance, the idea of him testifying, would you suggest he do so in any of these cases? So lawyers are risk averse. And so I would always say no, <laughs> especially with Trump, where, um, I, you know, I've, you never know what he's going to say. And so that amount of risk is just not something that you need, especially in something like the Mar-a-Lago case, where I think you want to focus less on the facts because the facts are pretty bad and you want to focus more on the law. What is the interaction between the Presidential Records Act and the Espionage Act? What is the required state of mind under the Espionage Act? These sort of questions where you really don't want to be pushing the facts. And of course, Trump is going to be out there with a whole bunch of facts. So do I think Trump is ultimately going to testify? No, I think these are just words. I guess my one caveat to that is usually defendants don't want to testify because they are presumed innocent until proven guilty. With Trump, you are a little bit different. Everybody already has their opinion of him. And so maybe there is something to be gained about sort of proving your innocence in Trump's case that wouldn't normally be there for a standard defendant. Certainly, it's always the prosecution's burden. But it is interesting to think about he has really conceded the possession of the documents. The rest, of course, he is contesting. How will that play in the end of all of this? Of course, I'll tell you, if he does take the stand, May, the prosecution will have to have a bib around their neck to stop from salivating at every word he is saying in the other three cases as well. May Mailman, nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Look, the manhunt is heating up tonight in Pennsylvania for that escaped murderer. He has been on the run now for seven days. But tonight, there are new clues. We'll tell you what the police have found next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. 
When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. There are new developments tonight as the manhunt for escaped murderer Danilo Calvacante is intensifying. There's an incredible video released today showing how he escaped. I mean, crab walking up a wall at the Chester County Prison. He then apparently pushed his way through razor wire before running across a roof, scaling another fence and pushing his way through even more razor wire before escaping. Now, the prison's warden is saying that the prison tower guard didn't see Calvacante escape, calling it a, quote, failure on the human element side, unquote. It's the second escape from the prison just this year alone. Now, Calvacante has been on the run since last Thursday, and last month he had been convicted in the brutal 2021 murder of his ex-girlfriend in front of her two young children. I want to bring in CNN's Brian Todd, also former FBI assistant director for the Criminal Investigative Division, Chris Swecker. I'm glad you're both here tonight. We're seven days in, gentlemen. Brian, Calvacante still has not been caught, but there have been some discovery of footprints. What's going on? Right, Laura. We did learn about that today. A new piece of information, that discovery of footprints, so critical that they have found those because this guy, Danilo Calvacante, has left very few traces of himself. This is what Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens of the Pennsylvania State Police had to say about the footprints, about their use of canine teams and other elements of the search. There have been footprints um, and and there have been other indicators to us that he's passed through a certain area. We've had a number of uh, dog scent uh, trails that uh, that we have followed for quite some time. couple of other new pieces of information that we learned today. Uh, he, there was a sighting of Cavalcante last night. Uh, some homeowners sighted him on the creek bed of their property. They called 911. By the time law enforcement got there, he had vanished. Also, today we learned, Laura, at least for the moment, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens saying that right now they do not believe they have any indication that Cavalcante has a weapon on him, but they are really concerned that he might procure one somehow because he has been seen near several homes and it's believe that he's broken into at least one of them, Laura. I mean, it's been almost a week, Brian, since his escape. Why are they having such a hard time finding him? Well, the search area has been shifting constantly. Uh, it shifted a little bit to the east today. It shifted back and forth, and, it's, and it has expanded today. Uh, you can also tell when you're out here, this is extremely rural areas uh, of, of eastern Pennsylvania. A lot of farmhouses, a lot of rolling hills, uh, hillsides, forests, things like that. I'm also going to show you kind of another example of why this search is so complicated. We're going to pan to your left, my right. Our photojournalist, Jake Shire, is going to take you down these 
railroad tracks where I am. Now, there are several railroad tracks and junctions that go through this area. What we're told by law enforcement, you can see down there those engines. Those engines are attached to freight trains, usually. Um, these are areas that they are searching. They did tell us that they are searching these areas because they are very concerned about the possibility that Cavalcante might jump on a freight train. If he does that and is successful in doing that, he could you know, obviously get a long way away from here fairly quickly, and it wouldn't even really matter where he's going. At least it wouldn't matter to him. So what they've told us is they are securing as many of these areas near railroad tracks as they can. But that's part of the challenge, Laura. They can secure areas like where I am right now, but all up and down these railroad tracks, that's just one aspect of the search. They've also wow. got to you know, comb through forests and fields and things like that. It is very, very rural out here, which is surprising to a lot of people because we're only about 10 miles west of Wilmington, Delaware. We're only about 30 miles west of Philadelphia. It's, wow. You wouldn't think that it is so rural, but it is vast, rural, and at night it is pitch black and he can move around, and that's when he's been moving around. Chris, I mean, you're looking at the same things we're talking about here. I mean, do they have enough people assigned to this? I mean, how has this manhunt evolved in your experience? Yeah, I mean, these, typically this type of manhunt does involve a lot of agencies and a, and a lot of people. And now, you know, with drone technology and cameras and that sort of thing, you know, there's a lot to work with. And it, and it appears from all, all the evidence and the sightings and the, and the house break in and the video that he's still within a mile and a half, two miles, somewhere around that perimeter. You know, so he, they do have him contained, it looks like, but he does seem to be able to, to move around at night freely. And I, you know, job one is to keep him contained, make sure he doesn't you know, harm anybody else. He's, he's a two-time killer and he's desperate. So you know, although it is rural, we hear that there are houses in the area. We haven't had the sightings and the home invasion. That, that family was very lucky. But job one is to keep his head down, you know, Ooh. keep him contained. That's what we did with Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber. Although, you know, it took six years, but he was caught within four or five miles of where he was last seen. And he, he was this man convicted of murdering his former girlfriend, a warrant, I believe, out for his arrest and the, and the murder of somebody in Brazil as well. He is a Brazilian national. Right. I, Chris, I can't get out of my head, though, this video of him crab walking up the prison wall before escaping. I mean... It, it's a remarkable lapse in security, and it doesn't seem like it's the first time that he has maybe tried to go up that wall or this happened in this prison. Yeah, he looked like Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. You know, the, 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 the big lapse there, if you will, the big vulnerability is not so much that he spidered up the wall. It's the fact that there was a blind spot right there where any prisoner could go in there and not be seen. Bingo. And, you know, they, they, they had a, a prison escape earlier, a few months earlier, and that same person or that person got on the roof and was able to maneuver around as well. So, you know, this, this was a known vulnerability. There should have yeah. been cameras in there. There should have been, you know, very, uh, you know, periodic checks, but with sh between short intervals, because this is a, you know, a, once you do it once, you got to mm. red team yourselves and fix it. Brian Todd, Chris Wecker, thank you so much tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Next, I'll speak with two people who live less than two miles from the prison Danilo Cavacante broke out of, and now they believe he's actually been on their property. They're next. Tomorrow makes one week since Danilo Cavacante escaped a Pennsylvania prison. My next guests actually live less than two miles from the Chester County prison where he broke out. So far, investigators have searched their property twice. 
Nina and Charlie Lyman both join me now. Thank you both for being with us. The nation is really captivated by this. One, the fact that it happened at all, not to mention, of course, we're now a week into this manhunt. It's a very scary notion that's happening. Do you think that he has been on your property, Nina? Um, so we, we've had reason to believe that perhaps he has. Uh, we have a couple, we're a 65 acre farm uh, with 50 acres on the backside. So my husband and I live in the center of the woods that is about a mile and a half from the prison. Uh, yesterday, or I'm sorry, Saturday evening, uh, we heard some very strange things in the woods, um, saw some things on our cameras, and we did alert police. We have been working with um, agents and police. And then this, uh, what, this morning, there is a kind of treehouse clubhouse that has been shut for some time that has a door that's been shut due to the safety of our five-year-old. And it was kind of shoved open, which would take some force, some yeah. brute force to, to shove that open. So um, we ended up did, we, we called one of the troopers and we took them off and they did come up again um, and search the property. But we do have several nooks and crannies. We have three barns, haylofts, horse trailers. Um, there are three houses on the property. So we're, we're a little... We're taking precautions. Well, what did you see, Charlie, on this, you know, the images or whatever you saw that made you alert the police? Besides the treehouse. Uh, on, the, on the trail, uh, the one camera at the barn, we saw we, what we think was a flashlight coming through. Um, uh, the officers took our video back. They claim it, it was uh, some bugs. I mean, your son's school, I understand, has been closed for, for multiple days now. It, it must be very unsettling, to say the least, to think that if you believe he's been on your property, that you have homes on your property, a treehouse um, as well, maybe even being tampered with. What are your concerns now? What are you being told by the schools as to why it's being closed, Charlie? Uh, I guess they're worried about the safety of the kids. I, I can't blame that. You know, who's to say, you know, Kids at the bus stop, he comes through. I don't, I don't know. You know, I think it's best the schools do stay closed. Kids stay home. You know, they encourage everyone to lock their doors, windows, so forth. Um, you know, we've been trying to help the officers when they come up here. We, we grew up here our whole life. We've, you know, hunted and as kids played in the woods all around here. And, you know, I, I gave a lot of the officers suggestions. Like if I was on the loose running through these woods, this is the way I would go. This is mm -hmm. where I would hide, you know. Uh, we've been trying to help them out in that respect. Um, I ran across a bunch of uh, U.S. Marshals earlier today, and I was talking to them. And I said, where are you guys out? And they said, Philadelphia. And I said, okay, well, I've grown up here my whole life. And this, and I, like I just said, I've talked to them a, a while about, like, if I was on the loose, this is where I would go, you know. Do they follow your advice? Yeah, yeah, they said, yeah, you're very helpful. You know, I told them, you know, the stream beds and stuff, stuff like that. If you want to stay hidden, you know, you're not going to find you going that direction. Well, and, and there's a lot of drainage pipes uh, underneath the main road that they have blocked off that are pretty, you know, you could get in there pretty easily. There's a lot of retainage ponds that have the drainage pipes. So um, the biggest reason for the school closures are because of the road closures. So this whole area within you know, a half a mile to mile radius has been blocked off and um, there's staff that can't get to schools. There's children that can't get to schools There's school buses that can't get to schools. They did say that if there were school buses in the area that had to go through these roads and these closures, they would have an escort, which is very comforting. Um, I a would police escort. My 
Yeah, I believe a police escort. They did. They did release that at some point. Um, and, and that was what we were told. Honestly, I would still probably drive my child to school and make sure he went through this locked doors. You know, I, as a mom, I want to make sure I can see him go through those locked doors. And then he does I'm have the same way. So I can see him come out of those locked doors and right into my locked truck. And, you know, we uh, we carry. So we are protecting ourselves adequately on the farm here. Um, and we are taking shifts. We're up every hour, every hour and a half. We do have several security cameras around the facility itself. So we can kind of get some angles and see what's going on. And we get those security cameras on our phones. We have monitors in our house and that sort of thing. Uh, Are the police asking for that footage? Are the police asking you for, are you providing it? Are your neighbors doing the same? Is it sort of a mutual understanding to just hand it over every time it comes in? Yes. Yes. So our neighbors are being very cooperative. Everybody's being super cooperative. Um, Police and agents are being very friendly with us. Uh, They're being cooperative with us as well. So there is a big team and group effort here about what's going on. Um, I know a couple people have, they have ring cameras. Um, Mm -hmm. The one neighborhood waterland that was broken into is walking distance. They actually had a chopper yesterday that had his mother's voice. Uh, in Portuguese, and they had made a press release that they were going to be flying the chopper eventually. I was sitting at my desk, and I was like, what is that noise? What, what is that? And I, I went out on my deck, and sure enough, the chopper was flying around, and uh, it was his mother's voice, and she was very distressed, crying, screaming uh, over an intercom, and they flew it around for about a, an hour and a half, almost two hours, constantly um, playing her voice, asking for you know a plea of surrender, to surrender to police. Um, so that was a little, that was a little chilling. The, the combination of the two, just to hear that distressed call and, and what's been going on and what you're all enduring. And you're just one of the families who are experiencing all of this. Nina, Charlie, Lyman, thank you so much. I can't believe what you've had to go through. Thank you so much. All right, thank, thank you. you. Well, the DOJ says tonight they're going to indict this man. Hunter Biden, what that means for the president's son and what it means for the president. That's next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. The Department of Justice says that special counsel David Weiss now intends to seek an indictment against President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, this relating to a gun case. I want to talk about it right now with CNN's Kara Scannell, who has the very latest for us this evening. Kara, what are you learning tonight? Yeah, Laura, we learned in a court filing this afternoon that special counsel David Weiss says that they're going to seek an indictment related to the gun case this month, saying that because of the Speedy Trial Act, that they would need to make a decision on this case by September 29th. They're saying they are going to do so before that date. Uh, you know, and the, remember, this was part of this pretrial diversion deal that he had reached uh, last uh, back in July. And under that deal, he would have avoided prosecution 
on a gun possession charge, possessing a gun while he was under uh, the influence of a controlled substance. He's been very public about his cocaine addiction. You know, that was a, that's a felony that faces a statutory maximum of 10 years in prison. So that was going to be diverted if he met certain conditions, um, including not using drugs and not possessing a gun uh, for 24 months. That deal fell apart. What we don't know from this filing is exactly what they will try to seek an indictment mm -hmm. on, if it will be that same felony or if it will be, uh, which we know is something they were looking at, falsifying the form in which he filled out to get that gun. So that remains an open question at this point, but certainly in this case is looking like it's going to move forward with a felony charge against the president's son, Laura. Well, that might surprise a lot of people because if that deal imploded, and we all remember what happened in that courtroom and the shock, frankly, that it all went south so quickly and wondering what would happen next, then the special counsel appointment, obviously, the elevation for David Weiss, why is any part of that deal still on the table if it all imploded? Well, what's interesting here is that Hunter Biden's lawyers have said that they believe it was binding because it was signed by Hunter Biden and the Justice Department prosecutors. They're saying that diversion agreements are usually just between those two parties, so it should stick. Now, the special counsel's office is saying, well, it lacks one other important signature. That is the head of probation in Delaware. And because that person never signed it, they say this deal was never executed and therefore it's not binding. So they were signaling to the judge today that they're going to move forward with this. And then Biden's team saying that they are going to push back on this. They think their deal is valid. So it looks like we're going to have some further fighting in court over uh, this gun case and where it may ultimately leave, Laura. Is he going to try to make another deal? I mean, obviously, there's some questions now about getting every I dotted, every T crossed, given what would happen before. But is there any reporting about there being another deal on the table at all? Or are we past that? Well, I mean, Biden's lawyers have said repeatedly since the deal fell apart and since Weiss was appointed special counsel that they do hope to resolve this case at some point, you know, in a deal, likely in a deal. I think the big question, though, here is we still have the tax investigation that's open. That's where there was a plea agreement. Prosecutors have said that at this point they're going to move forward to bring a case at trial. We don't know exactly what charges they'll seek in that case. Uh, and then they did say, because they're appointing a special counsel, that this is going to be a broader investigation where they're potentially going to look at some other areas, whether it was foreign lobbying or possible foreign bribery. That was all part of this five-year investigation that had really narrowed to just the gun and the tax case. Uh, but that is a big question now of whether the investigation will really broadly reopen. We do know Republicans have been pushing on this issue, or if we're going to see two discrete charges in different jurisdictions, and we could ultimately end up where we started with a plea deal down the road. Laura. Kara Scannell, thank you so much. Interesting, very much so. Well, Leonard Mack was wrongfully convicted of rape five decades ago. Five decades ago. He spent years behind bars, and now, at the age of 72, he is being exonerated. I'll talk to him next. Nearly five decades after he was wrongfully convicted of rape, a New York judge has overturned the conviction of 72-year-old Leonard Mack following new DNA testing that eliminated him as the perpetrator and identified a different man who has since confessed to the crime. Joining me now is Mr. Leonard Mack and Susan Friedman. Mr. Mack, thank you so much for being here in particular. You have been hoping to clear your name for nearly 50 years, and it finally happened. And on your 72nd birthday, no less, you had to tell us, what does this all feel like in this moment? 
To be honest, it feels unreal. Tell me why. It feels unreal because, well, it, it, it finally happened. And because it took so long, uh, 48 years. And the reason it feels real is because of the reality is, is setting in. Uh, yesterday, when the judge read her decision, and said that the conviction had been vacated and I was exonerated. I just thank the Lord that it was, the day finally came. And now the reality of it is sitting in. Mr. Mack, you spent more than seven years in prison for a crime. And I want to read it. You did not commit this crime. You did not commit this crime. And yet you have been fighting all this time, really, to get your name cleared. And as the reality sets in and thinking about what was lost that time, what it did to you, to your family, you say that it really changed the entire trajectory of your entire life. Yes, it did. Um, as a result of, of the conviction of the charge, to be charged with that and to have to go to prison for it, knowing that I didn't do it, uh, the animosity and the hatred that I had back then uh, and being put in prison in maximum security prisons, knowing that I hadn't, uh, that I didn't do it. And I was determined in my mind that I was going to prove my innocence and that I wasn't going to give up. Even though I was, every time I'd submit a motion, it would get denied, it would get denied, but I never gave up. I had that hope something was going to happen that my innocent was going to be proven. It was going to be shown that I didn't do it. Even though back then they didn't have DNA, but I, that's, that's what kept me going was my faith and hope. Susan, you took this case actually, even though Leonard had been out of prison for, for decades and it, it, it to his point, this is the longest case to be overturned based on new DNA evidence ever by the Innocence Project. I wonder, what was it about this case of Mr. Max that made you want to take this on? When we looked at this case, we saw that it had all of the hallmarks of a wrongful conviction. It had multiple eyewitness misidentifications. It had uh, false, lead false misleading forensic serology evidence that was presented. And the other thing that really stood out about this case is the way that tunnel vision really drove the police and prosecutors' decisions in this case. When you look at this case, you see that the IDs were completely unreliable. The serological evidence was exculpatory. And despite that, police decided not to reopen the case and see if there were any other leads. So to us, it was a really compelling case of innocence. 
Mr. Mack, thinking about what you had to endure, that feeling of what if it were them to have been faced with something so horrible, to be accused of something like this, not to have done it. I wonder how did you have, even to this moment, I mean, you say talking about talking about keeping the faith, how did you have the mental fortitude and strength to still believe, to, to endure what people thought about you? Knowing that I didn't do it and uh, just having the mindset that I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, continue with this. I was, I, 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 I said that I'm gonna continue it until the day that I die. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna give up. I know that I didn't do this. I know that I didn't do it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Your story is so important. Susan, Mr. Leonard Mack, thank you so much. Thank you, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.